division eight part one of human all too human a book for free spirits by friedrich nietzsche translated by helen zimmern this librivox recording is in the public domain eighth division a glance at the state part one four thirty eight asking to be heard the demagogic disposition and the intention of working upon the masses is at present common to all political parties on this account they are all obliged to change their principles into great alfresco follies and thus make a show of them in this matter there is no further alteration to be made indeed it is superfluous even to raise a finger against it for here voltaire's saying applies quand la populace se meurt de raisonner tout est perdu since this has happened we have to accommodate ourselves to the new conditions as we have to accommodate ourselves when an earthquake has displaced the old boundaries and the contour of the land and altered the value of property moreover when it is once for all a question in the politics of all parties to make life endurable to the greatest possible majority this majority may always decide what they understand by an endurable life if they believe their intellect capable of finding the right means to this end why should we doubt about it they want once for all to be the architects of their own good or ill fortune and if their feeling of free choice and their pride in the five or six ideas that their brain conceals and brings to light really makes life so agreeable to them that they gladly put up with the fatal consequences of their narrow-mindedness there is little to object to provided that their narrow-mindedness does not go so far as to demand that everything shall become politics in this sense that all shall live and act according to this standard for in the first place it must be more than ever permissible for some people to keep aloof from politics and to stand somewhat aside to this they are also impelled by the pleasure of free choice and connected with this there may even be some little pride in keeping silence when too many and only the many are speaking then this small group must be excused if they do not attach such great importance to the happiness of the majority nations or strata of population may be understood thereby and are occasionally guilty of an ironical grimace for their seriousness lies elsewhere their conception of happiness is quite different and their aim cannot be encompassed by every clumsy hand that has just five fingers finally there comes from time to time what is certainly most difficult to concede to them but must also be conceded a moment when they emerge from their silent solitariness and try once more the strength of their lungs they then call to each other like people lost in a wood to make themselves known and for mutual encouragement whereby to be sure much becomes audible that sounds evil to ears for which it is not intended soon however silence again prevails in the wood such silence that the buzzing humming and fluttering of the countless insects that live in above and beneath it are again plainly heard four thirty nine culture and caste a higher culture can only originate where there are two distinct castes of society that of the working class and that of the leisured class who are capable of true leisure 
or more strongly expressed the caste of compulsory labour and the caste of free labour the point of view of the division of happiness is not essential when it is a question of the production of a higher culture in any case however the leisured caste is more susceptible to suffering and suffer more their pleasure in existence is less and their task is greater now supposing there should be quite an interchange between the two castes so that on the one hand the duller and less intelligent families and individuals are lowered from the higher caste into the lower and on the other hand the freer men of the lower caste obtain access to the higher a condition of things would be attained beyond which one can only perceive the open sea of vague wishes thus speaks to us the vanishing voice of the olden time but where are there still ears to hear it for forty of good blood that which men and women of good blood possess much more than others and which gives them an undoubted right to be more highly appreciated are two arts which are always increased by inheritance the art of being able to command and the art of proud obedience now wherever commanding is the business of the day as in the great world of commerce and industry there results something similar to these families of good blood only the noble bearing in obedience is lacking which is an inheritance from feudal conditions and hardly grows any longer in the climate of our culture four forty one subordination the subordination which is so highly valued in military and official ranks will soon become as incredible to us as the secret tactics of the jesuits have already become and when this subordination is no longer possible a multitude of astonishing results will no longer be attained and the world will be all the poorer it must disappear for its foundation is disappearing the belief in unconditional authority in ultimate truth even in military ranks physical compulsion is not sufficient to produce it but only the inherited adoration of the princely as of something superhuman in freer circumstances people subordinate themselves only on conditions in compliance with a mutual contract consequently with all the provisos of self-interest four forty two the national army the greatest disadvantage of the national army now so much glorified lies in the squandering of men of the highest civilization it is only by the favourableness of all circumstances that there are such men at all how carefully and anxiously should we deal with them since long periods are required to create the chance conditions for the production of such delicately organized brains but as the greeks wallowed in the blood of greeks so do europeans now in the blood of europeans and indeed taken relatively it is mostly the highly cultivated who are sacrificed those who promise an abundant and excellent posterity for such stand in the front of the battle as commanders and also expose themselves to most danger by reason of their higher ambition at present when quite other and higher tasks are assigned than patria and honour the rough roman patriotism is either something dishonourable or a sign of being behind the times four forty three hope as presumption our social order will slowly melt away as all former orders have done as soon as the suns of new opinions have shone upon mankind with a new glow we can only wish this melting away in the hope thereof 
and we are only reasonably entitled to hope when we believe that we and our equals have more strength in heart and head than the representatives of the existing state of things as a rule therefore this hope will be a presumption an overestimation four forty four war against war it may be said that it makes the victor stupid and the vanquished revengeful in favour of war it may be said that it barbarizes in both its above-named results and thereby makes more natural it is the sleep or the winter period of culture man emerges from it with greater strength for good and for evil four forty five in the prince's service to be able to act quite regardlessly it is best for a statesman to carry out his work not for himself but for a prince the eye of the spectator is dazzled by the splendour of this general disinterestedness so that it does not see the malignancy and severity which the work of a statesman brings with it four forty six a question of power not of right as regards socialism in the eyes of those who always consider higher utility if it is really arising against their oppressors of those who for centuries have been oppressed and downtrodden there is no problem of right involved notwithstanding the ridiculous effeminate question how far ought we to grant its demands but only a problem of power the same therefore as in the case of a natural force steam for instance which is either forced by man into his service as a machine god or which in case of defects of the machine that is to say defects of human calculation in its construction destroys it and man together in order to solve this question of power we must know how strong socialism is in what modification it may yet be employed as a powerful lever in the present mechanism of political forces under certain circumstances we should do all we can to strengthen it with every great force be it the most dangerous men have to think how they can make of it an instrument for their purposes socialism acquires a right only if war seems to have taken place between the two powers the representatives of the old and the new when however a wise calculation of the greatest possible preservation and advantageousness to both sides gives rise to a desire for a treaty without treaty no right so far however there is neither war nor treaty on the ground in question therefore no rights no ought four forty seven utilizing the most trivial dishonesty the power of the press consists in the fact that every individual who ministers to it only feels himself bound and constrained to a very small extent he usually expresses his opinion but sometimes also does not express it in order to serve his party or the politics of his country or even himself such little faults of dishonesty or perhaps only of a dishonest silence are not hard to bear by the individual but the consequences are extraordinary because these little faults are committed by many at the same time each one says to himself for such small concessions i live better and can make my income by the want of such little compliances i make myself impossible because it seems almost morally indifferent to write a line more perhaps even without signature or not to write it a person who has money and influence can make any opinion a public one he who knows that most people are weak in trifles and wishes to attain his own ends thereby is always dangerous four forty eight too loud a tone in grievances 
through the fact that an account of a bad state of things for instance the crimes of an administration bribery and arbitrary favour in political or learned bodies is greatly exaggerated it fails in its effect on intelligent people but has all the greater effect on the unintelligent who would have remained indifferent to an accurate and moderate account but as these latter are considerably in the majority and harbour in themselves stronger will-power and more impatient desire for action the exaggeration becomes the cause of investigations punishments promises and reorganizations in so far it is useful to exaggerate the accounts of bad states of things four forty nine the apparent weather makers of politics just as people tacitly assume that he who understands the weather and foretells it about a day in advance makes the weather so even the educated and learned with a display of superstitious faith ascribe to great statesmen as their most special work all the important changes and conjunctures that have taken place during their administration when it is only evident that they knew something thereof a little earlier than other people and made their calculations accordingly thus they are also looked upon as weather-makers and this belief is not the least important instrument of their power four fifty new and old conceptions of government to draw such a distinction between government and people as if two separate spheres of power a stronger and higher and a weaker and lower negotiated and came to terms with each other is a remnant of transmitted political sentiment which still accurately represents the historic establishment of the conditions of power in most states when bismarck for instance describes the constitutional system as a compromise between government and people he speaks in accordance with a principle which has its reason in history from whence to be sure it also derives its admixture of folly without which nothing human can exist on the other hand we must now learn in accordance with a principle which has originated only in the brain and has still to make history that government is nothing but an organ of the people not an attentive honourable hire in relation to a lower accustomed to modesty before we accept this hitherto unhistorical and arbitrary although logical formulation of the conception of government let us but consider its consequences for the relation between people and government is the strongest typical relation after the pattern of which the relationship between teacher and pupil master and servants father and family leader and soldier master and apprentice is unconsciously formed at present under the influence of the prevailing constitutional system of government all these relationships are changing a little they are becoming compromises but how they will have to be reversed and shifted and change name and nature when that newest of all conceptions has got the upper hand everywhere in people's minds to achieve which however a century may yet be required in this matter there is nothing further to be wished for except caution and slow development four fifty one justice as the decoy cry of parties well may noble if not exactly very intelligent representatives of the governing classes asseverate we will treat men equally and grant them equal rights so far a socialistic mode of thought which is based on justice is possible but as has been said only within the ranks of the governing class which in this case practices justice with sacrifices and abnegations on the other hand to demand equality of rights as do the socialists 
of the subject cast is by no means the outcome of justice but of covetousness if you expose bloody pieces of flesh to a beast and withdraw them again until it finally begins to roar do you think that roaring implies justice four fifty two possession and justice when the socialists point out that the division of property at the present day is the consequence of countless deeds of injustice and violence and in summa repudiate obligation to anything with so unrighteous a basis they only perceive something isolated the entire past of ancient civilization is built up on violence slavery deception and error we however cannot annul ourselves the errors of all these conditions nay the concrescences of all this past and are not entitled to demand the withdrawal of a single fragment thereof the unjust disposition lurks also in the souls of non-possessors they are not better than the possessors and have no moral prerogative for at one time or another their ancestors have been possessors not forcible new distributions but gradual transformations of opinion are necessary justice in all matters must become greater the instinct of violence weaker four fifty three the helmsman of the passions the statesman excites public passions in order to have the advantage of the counter passions thereby aroused to give an example a german statesman knows quite well that the catholic church will never have the same plans as russia indeed that it would far rather be allied with the turk than with the former country he likewise knows that germany is threatened with great danger from an alliance between france and russia if he can succeed therefore in making france the focus and fortress of the catholic church he has averted this danger for a lengthy period he has accordingly an interest in showing hatred against the catholics in transforming by all kinds of hostility the supporters of the pope's authority into an impassioned political power which is opposed to german politics and must as a matter of course coalesce with france as the adversary of germany his aim is the catholicizing of france just as necessarily as mirabeau saw the salvation of his native land in decatholicizing it the one state therefore desires to muddle millions of minds of another state in order to gain advantage thereby it is the same disposition which supports the republican form of government of a neighboring state le désordre organisé as mary may says for the sole reason that it assumes that this form of government makes the nation weaker more distracted less fit for war four fifty four the dangerous revolutionary spirits those who are bent on revolutionizing society may be divided into those who seek something for themselves thereby and those who seek something for their children and grandchildren the latter are the more dangerous for they have the belief in the good conscience of disinterestedness the others can be appeased by favors those in power are still sufficiently rich and wise to adopt that expedient the danger begins as soon as the aims become impersonal revolutionists seeking impersonal interests may consider all defenders of the present state of things as personally interested and may therefore feel themselves superior to their opponents four fifty five the political value of paternity when a man has no sons he has not a full right to join in a discussion concerning the needs of a particular community a person must himself have staked his dearest object along with the others that alone binds him fast to the state he must have in view the well-being of his descendants and must therefore above all have descendants in order to take a right and natural share in all institutions and the changes thereof the development of higher 
morality depends on a person's having sons it disposes him to be unegoistic or more correctly it extends his egoism in its duration and permits him earnestly to strive after goals which lie beyond his individual lifetime four fifty six pride of descent a man may be justly proud of an unbroken line of good ancestors down to his father not however of the line itself for every one has that descent from good ancestors constitutes the real nobility of birth a single break in the chain one bad ancestor therefore destroys the nobility of birth every one who talks about his nobility should be asked have you no violent avaricious dissolute wicked cruel man amongst your ancestors if with good cognizance and conscience he can answer no then let his friendship be sought four fifty seven slaves and labourers the fact that we regard the gratification of vanity as a more account than all other forms of well-being security position and pleasures of all sorts is shown to a ludicrous extent by every one wishing for the abolition of slavery and utterly abhorring to put any one into this position apart altogether from political reasons well every one must acknowledge to himself that in all respects slaves live more securely and more happily than modern labourers and that slave labour is very easy labour compared with that of the labourer we protest in the name of the dignity of man but expressed more simply that is just our darling vanity which feels non-equality and inferiority in public estimation to be the hardest lot of all the cynic thinks differently concerning the matter because he despises honour and so diogenes was for some time a slave and tutor four fifty eight leading minds and their instruments we see that great statesmen and in general all who have to employ many people to carry out their plans sometimes proceed one way and sometimes another they either choose with great skill and care the people suitable for their plans and then leave them a comparatively large amount of liberty because they know that the nature of the person selected impels them precisely to the point where they themselves would have them go or else they choose badly in fact take whatever comes to hand but out of every piece of clay they form something useful for their purpose these latter minds are the more high-handed they also desire more submissive instruments their knowledge of mankind is usually much smaller their contempt of mankind greater than in the case of the first-mentioned class but the machines they construct generally work better than the machines from the workshops of the former four fifty nine arbitrary law necessary jurists dispute whether the most perfectly thought-out law or that which is most easily understood should prevail in a nation the former the best model of which is roman law seems incomprehensible to the layman and is therefore not the expression of his sense of justice popular laws the germanic for instance have been rude superstitious illogical and in part idiotic but they represented very definite inherited national morals and sentiments but whereas with us law is no longer custom it can only command and be compulsion none of us any longer possesses a traditional sense of justice we must therefore content ourselves with arbitrary laws which are the expressions of the necessity that there must be law the most logical is then in any case the most acceptable because it is the most impartial granting even that in every case the smallest unit of measure in the relation of crime and punishment is arbitrarily fixed four sixty the great man of the masses the recipe for what the masses call a great man is easily given 
in all circumstances let a person provide them with something very pleasant or first let him put it into their heads that this or that would be very pleasant and then let him give it to them on no account give it immediately however but let him acquire it by the greatest exertions or seem thus to acquire it the masses must have the impression that there is a powerful nay indomitable strength of will operating at least it must seem to be there operating everybody admires a strong will because nobody possesses it and everybody says to himself that if he did possess it there would no longer be any bounds for him and his egoism if then it becomes evident that such a strong will effects something very agreeable to the masses instead of hearkening to the wishes of covetousness people admire once more and wish good luck to themselves moreover if he has all the qualities of the masses they are the less ashamed before him and he is all the more popular consequently he may be violent envious rapacious intriguing flattering fawning inflated and according to circumstances anything whatsoever four sixty one prince and god people frequently commune with their princes in the same way as with their god as indeed the prince himself was frequently the deity's representative or at least his high priest this almost uncanny disposition of veneration disquiet and shame grew and has grown much weaker but occasionally it flares up again and fastens upon powerful persons generally the cult of genius is an echo of this veneration of gods and princes wherever an effort is made to exalt particular men to the superhuman there is also a tendency to regard whole grades of the population as coarser and baser than they really are four sixty two my utopia in a better arranged society the heavy work and trouble of life will be assigned to those who suffer least through it to the most obtuse therefore and so step by step up to those who are most sensitive to the highest and sublimest kinds of suffering and who therefore still suffer notwithstanding the greatest alleviations of life four sixty three a delusion in subversive doctrines there are political and social dreamers who ardently and eloquently call for the overthrow of all order in the belief that the proudest fame of beautiful humanity will then rear itself immediately almost of its own accord in these dangerous dreams there is still an echo of rousseau's superstition which believes in a marvellous primordial goodness of human nature buried up as it were and lays all the blame of that bearing up on the institutions of civilization on society state and education unfortunately it is well known by historical experiences that every such overthrow reawakens into new life the wildest energies the long-buried horrors and extravagances of remotest ages that an overthrow therefore may possibly be a source of strength to a deteriorated humanity but never a regulator architect artist or a perfecter of human nature it was not voltaire's moderate nature inclined towards regulating purifying and reconstructing but rousseau's passionate follies and half lies that aroused the optimistic spirit of the revolution against which i cry écrasez l'infâme owing to this the spirit of enlightenment and progressive development has been long scared away let us see each of us individually if it is not possible to recall it four sixty four moderation when perfect resoluteness in thinking and investigating that is to say freedom of spirit has become a feature of character it produces moderation of conduct for it weakens avidity attracts much extant energy for the furtherance of intellectual aims and shows the semi-usefulness or uselessness and danger of all sudden changes 
four sixty five the resurrection of the spirit a nation usually renews its youth on a political sick-bed and there finds again the spirit which it had gradually lost in seeking and maintaining power culture is indebted most of all to politically weakened periods four sixty six new opinions in the old home the overthrow of opinions is not immediately followed by the overthrow of institutions on the contrary the new opinions dwell for a long time in the desolate and haunted house of their predecessors and conserve it even for want of a habitation four sixty seven public education in large states public education will always be extremely mediocre for the same reason that in large kitchens a cooking is at best only mediocre four sixty eight innocent corruption in all institutions into which the sharp breeze of public criticism does not penetrate an innocent corruption grows up like a fungus for instance in learned bodies and senates four sixty nine scholars as politicians to scholars who become politicians the comic role is usually assigned they have to be the good conscience of a state policy four seventy the wolf hidden behind the sheep almost every politician in certain circumstances has such need of an honest man that he breaks into the sheepfold like a famished wolf not however to devour a stolen sheep but to hide himself behind its woolly back four seventy one happy times a happy age is no longer possible because men only wish for it but do not desire to have it and each individual when good days come for him learns positively to pray for disquiet and misery the destiny of mankind is arranged for happy moments every life has such but not for happy times nevertheless such times will continue to exist in man's imagination as over the hills and far away an heirloom of his earliest ancestors for the idea of the happy age from the earliest times to the present has no doubt been derived from the state in which man after violent exertions in hunting and warfare gives himself over to repose stretches out his limbs and hears the wings of sleep rustle around him it is a false conclusion when in accordance with that old habit man imagines that after whole periods of distress and trouble he will be able also to enjoy the state of happiness in proportionate increase and duration End of division eight part one